Evan, I'm going to fucking strangle you. I'm going to sit in your lap and I'm going to crush the life out of your pathetic throat. Now explain to the audience what you just made me watch. <sighs> Hello and welcome. You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, the podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on our magical journey through a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. Okay, so I mean, I'm sure you've been able to tell from the title, but to prepare for this episode on the movie Battlefield Earth, we watched the movie Battlefield Earth. Uh, what CT didn't know until the very end of the movie, literally the end credits, oh my God. is that it's based on a novel by L. Ron Hubbard. We sat through that entire fucking two and a half hour movie, yeah. a bizarre, yeah. strange thing. And the end credits roll, and then the third third title card in, it's like based on the book by L. Ron Hubbard, and I nearly killed you. <laughs> yeah, I was I was waiting for that reaction. <laughs> Cause I, I didn't know if there was gonna be any like suggestion of it at the like the opening credits, because I haven't seen it either. I knew that there was a bad sci-fi movie based on a book that he wrote. Yeah. But I didn't know that it was that yeah. <laughs> because literally, literally, the only thing that I knew about that movie coming in and I only realized it like in the middle of the movie was I had heard about it in a video of someone making fun of the Nostalgia Critics review of it on YouTube. <laughs> that was my only exposure to that movie and boy was that a fucking ride. Yeah. <laughs> but you did not know about the the uh, Scientology connection. No, but <laughs> knowing L. Ron Hubbard, like it makes so much more yeah. sense now. Yeah, exactly. So yes, obviously we're talking about Battlefield Earth, uh, which is... The way I know about Battlefield Earth is it's frequently described as one of the worst movies ever made, if not the worst movie ever made. No, that's not. That was not the worst movie ever made, not by a fucking long shot. Well, many critics claim it as the worst movie it's they've no, ever no, seen. It's not. It's not even a fucking question. Like that. I was actually interested in like the world. Like it was. Yeah. I would describe. I even said it during the recording. I would describe. My interest in this film, as I would describe my engagement with that film as mildly interested. Right. Regardless, it it, it has this this legend has grown about this movie as the worst movie ever made. It is a strange, <laughs> strange movie. It's not good. <laughs> definitely not good, but definitely not. It's not like Birdemic or something where it's just like there's definitely some interest and there's some like. There's some through line of the plot. There's some craft. Like, you can tell that the people who made this movie kind of cared. Like, yeah. the costumes were really interesting. Right. And the set design was actually really well done. Yeah. And, like, just the way that the world looked had the vibe of something that was just not fleshed out. Yeah. The director had a vision in his head, and he just didn't have the budget or the time or the team to make it good. Yeah. Exactly. Battlefield Earth, also referred to as Battlefield Earth, a saga of the year 3000, is a 2000 American science fiction action film based on the 1982 novel of the same name by L. Ron Hubbard. It was directed by Roger Christian and stars John Travolta, Barry Pepper, and Forrest Whitaker. The film follows a rebellion against the alien cyclos who have ruled the Earth for a thousand years. Battlefield Earth was a critical and commercial failure frequently described as one of the worst films of all time. Reviewers criticized virtually every aspect of the film, including the acting, cinematography, script, special effects, and art direction. I, I don't know if it's fair to call the acting bad. The John Travolta is a pretty he had questionable... No, he had nothing to work with. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... No actor could have made that role good. Yeah, like, exactly. It, Battlefield Earth suffers from the Star Wars problem. It's not the act... Like, the actors in Star Wars were actually bad most of the time. Mm. But it was, they had character direction. Right. They, under, they had clear goals and clear archetypes. It's the exact opposite it's of the Star Wars. It's the exact opposite of Star Wars. Yeah. Great actors, nothing to work with. Exactly. Or like serviceable actors right. that had nothing to work with. I mean, it's Ford, Forrest Whitaker, like one of the greatest actors of our generation. Like, and he's just thrown in this giant alien suit and thrown to the side. He did his best. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, the film received seven Golden Raspberry Awards, which yes. until 2012 was the most Razzie Awards given to a single film and won Worst Picture of the Decade in 2010. All right. That's fair. <laughs> this story is divided into, I believe they divided it into seven chapters. Se uh, sure. <laughs> Whatever. Chapter one. Hubbard has high Hollywood hopes. 
After... I know. I did. I know about this. <laughs> I know about this chapter of his life. After Battlefield Earth was published in 1982, L. Ron Hubbard suggested that a film version of the book was in the works. He gave an interview in February 1983 to the Rocky Mountain News in which he told the reporter, I've recently written three screenplays, and some interest has been expressed in Battlefield Earth. So I suppose I'll be right back in Hollywood one of these days and probably on location in the Denver area for Battlefield Earth when they film. Hubbard's comments comments suggested that he saw himself being directly involved in the film's production. Author Stuart Lamont suggests that Hubbard may even have envisioned directing it, having previously helmed Scientology training films. In October 1983, the film's rights were sold by the Church of Scientology's in-house literary agency, Author Services, to Salem Productions of Los Angeles. Two films were envisaged, each covering half of the book and tentatively budgeted at $15 million each. So it was going to be like a two-part saga. Right, right. William Emmerman was set as a producer for the film. Veteran screenwriter Abraham Polonsky and uh, British director Ken Anakin were hired to produce a film breakdown, with production scheduled to begin in 1985. In November 1984, Santa Monica public relations firm Dateline Communications announced a nationwide contest to promote the film. First and second place prizes were an all-expense paid trip to the film's production location and a paid walk-on part in the film. (gasps) And other announced prizes included a trip to Los Angeles for the world premiere, records, cassettes, and hardcover and paperback copies of the novel. Wow. A 30-foot-high inflatable figure of the film's villain, Turl, was erected by Scientology officials on Hollywood Boulevard in 1984 in an effort to promote the production. Auditions were held in Denver. However, mysteriously, the project soon collapsed, and Hubbard died soon afterwards in 1986. Yes, I know about this. And production on the film was shelved. Because here's the thing about, like, you're probably going to talk about this, but the thing with L. Ron Hubbard is that he was extremely good at pretending like he had money. Right. He was... L. Ron Hubbard spent most of his life completely fucking broke. Yeah, exactly. But he was extremely, like, he convinced, um, I forget what the fucking NASA scientist's name was, but he was hanging out in a, a, a coven of wizards in, uh, in San Diego for a while. And he convinced this other guy that he was going to start a business flipping yachts. <laughs> Like he was like, all right, I just need, I just need 2.5 million, like, I just need like 2.5 million dollars and we're going to buy these four yachts. We have them all picked out. We just need the startup capital. Right. And, and he said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll put down some money for one yacht, yeah. Elrond. And then Elrond just stole the yacht yeah. and never came back. <laughs> God. Yeah. I mean, of course. Of course. And L. Ron Hubbard would lie all the time. Right. He was an amazing liar. Yeah. I mean, his church is still going today. Yeah. Like, this guy who founded a religion based on his no- his failed novel career. Oh, my like, God. Like, that's how good he was at lying. Do you know how he initially made his novel career back yeah. in the 1950s? No. Uh, he would sell, um, cow- like, cowboy adventure cereals, but they all had mm. weird homoerotic names like <laughs> Wet Leather. <laughs> <laughs> And like big man in town. So he would like trick people into thinking it was like some sort of erotic novel? No, 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 no. It was just the 1950s and like gay people hadn't been invented yet. So they didn't. (laughs) Right. And they were okay. His novels were okay. Right. They weren't great. His science fiction was worse. Right. Like his adventure serials were probably his best work and they were subpar, honestly. This is like, he's like a subpar author at best. And he like founded a church that like is not only still going today, but has like some of the biggest celebrities in the world are members of the church. One of the funniest things is that he, he was in all the same circles as all those like golden age of sci-fi writers. Mm. So he was around Tim Powers and Philip K. Dick. Like, they hung out right. and Philip K. Dick saw him immediately for what he was. Right. Philip K. Dick had more fucking spite and bile for <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard than he had for perhaps any other living human being. <laughs> that is amazing. Chapter two. Travolta enters the chat. <laughs> uh, we've got, we've got a, another ingredient for this delicious soup. <laughs> John Travolta had converted to Scientology in 1975 and subsequently became one of the Church of Scientology's most prominent supporters. Right. He was like the biggest supporter of Scientology before Tom Cruise. Right. Hubbard sent him an autographed copy of Battlefield Earth when the book was first published in 1982. He reportedly hoped that Travolta would turn the book into a film in the vein of Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So like he was trying to like court John Travolta like 
20 years before this film was made. Right, he was going for Spielberg. Yeah. While Travolta was interested, his influence on Hollywood at the time was at a low after participating in a series of flops. Yeah, yeah. So Travolta wasn't like a super huge name at this point in history. Right, it was like he had, Travolta had, how oh, he had like Rocky and then one other film and that was it. I feel like he was in like a lot of like weird teen films wait, and like these was, like TV films. Wait, was, wait, Stallone wasn't Rocky? Yeah, he wasn't in Rocky. Yeah, that was Sylvester Stallone. Never mind. So he didn't even have anything as... He didn't have any, like, vehicles or anything. Right, right. However, he gained renewed influence with the success of the 1994 Pulp Fiction, which garnered Travolta an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. So that, like, revitalized his career. Can you imagine a Tarantino version of (laughs) this fucking movie? Almost, my friend. So Travolta gained, like, influence in Hollywood again. Right. Um, he had not forgotten Hubbard's wish- wishes to see Battlefield Earth on the big screen and took on the task of making it into a movie. Uh, this is why you don't let actors decide anything. This is why you keep them <laughs> in a tube of jelly and you yeah. don't let them experience life. Travolta described the book in interviews as like Pulp Fiction for the year 3000 uh-huh. and like Star Wars, only better. Sure. He lobbied influential influential figures in Hollywood to fund the project and was reported to have recruited the aid of fellow Scientologists in promoting it. According to Bill Mechanic, the former head of 20th Century Fox... (laughs) Bill Mechanic. Bill Mechanic, movie producer. Don Plummer. (laughs) Quote, John wanted me to make Battlefield Earth. He had Scientologists all over me. They come up to you and they know who you are and they go, we're really excited about Battlefield Earth. (laughs) This did not impress Mechanic. Quote, do you think in any way, shape, or form that weirding me out is going to make me want to make this movie? Yes. (laughs) That's exactly what he thought, my friend. Yeah. Just like surround him, like have Scientologists like follow him on the street. It's a, it's called love bombing. Yeah. Uh, John Travolta said about the production, quote, I have a special affection for this book. Hubbard was a great writer and I had no, an idea <laughs> of the movie's potential, a fantasy in my mind that lasted for years. This like passion to make this movie lasted literally 20 years for John Travolta. He was also in a cult. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. You gotta take that into account. Right. Give him a little bit of a break. Travolta's involvement in Battlefield Earth was first publicized in late 1995. He told the New York Daily News that, quote, Battlefield Earth is the pinnacle of using my power for something. I told my manager, if we can't do the things that we want to do, what good is the power? Let's test it and try to get the things done that we believe in. This is why you shouldn't have power, John Travolta. (laughs) It's the most meaningless quote. It's like, we should have power so we can do things, and why shouldn't we do the things that we don't have not power for? I deserve to be able to produce a movie for my cult. It was assumed from the start that Travolta would star in and produce the film, which would be distributed by MGM. Wow. J.D. Shapiro was in was to write the screenplay. Shapiro was eventually fired because he refused to accept some suggestions from the studio producers that changed the ch- the tone of his script, including removing key scenes and characters. So already right, some because, red flags. Because every moment of that script needed to be in that movie. Mm-hmm. Every single moment was absolutely necessary. <laughs> In 1997, Travolta's longtime manager, Jonathan Crane, signed a two-year deal with 20th Century Fox, under which that studio would release Battlefield Earth instead of MGM. But the deal with Fox also fell through. Oh boy. James Robert Parrish, author of Fiasco, A History of Hollywood's Iconic Flops, comments that both MGM and Fox regarded the project as too risky on several grounds. Its heavy reliance on special effects would be very expensive, pushing the budget up to as much as $100 million. Oh, yeah. Which is incredibly expensive for the year 2000. Well, and it wasn't just special effects, but there was also, like, extremely intricate costuming. Yeah, exactly. Like, they had the the full Star Trek prosthetic heads and the the crazy hair that was all, like, the the huge eyebrows and all that shit. Right. That's, like, eight straight hours of makeup right there. Exactly. And, like, huge extra scenes and, like, art direction and, like, it's expensive stuff. Those massive sets. Yeah. Hubbard's narrative was seen as naive and outdated, and the Scientology factor could work against the film negating Travolta's star power. So, like, the studios were already kind of iffy about John Travolta being associated with Scientology, and they're like, we don't really want to finance a film that's written by L. Ron Hubbard. Right. Like, this is just going to make Travolta's career seem fishy. Right, exactly. Like, we don't want to be associated with this. We don't want to fund the cult movie. As one studio executive put it, on any film there are ten variables that can kill you. On this film there was an eleven, Scientology. It just wasn't something anyone really wanted to get involved with. It's a really specific number. Yeah. There are ten things that can kill you. Bears. <laughs> the, Chinese, the Chinese. Yeah. 
<laughs> the well, Black Plague. Like, I think the point is that, like, movies are already incredibly, like, any movie oh, yeah. is so risky. And it's just, like, we don't really want to be associated with, like, L. Ron Hubbard. Like, people are just starting to, like, understand, like, what Scientology is and what, why it's dangerous. Right, Like, right. the public is starting to understand what this is. And, like, it's becoming more of, like, this, like, very shady thing in the public eye. But it's not common knowledge quite yet. It's exactly. Like, it's people in L.A. and Hollywood definitely know Scientology. Yeah. But outside of that, nobody knows Scientology. Right. But, like, people in Hollywood are definitely very, like, wary of Scientology. Yeah. Chapter 3. Into the Battlefield. In 1998, the project was taken over by Franchise Pictures, a recently established, established company whose head, Eli Samaha, a former dry cleaning mogul turned nightclub owner, specialized in rescuing stars pet projects. Oh, <laughs> not a red flag. Oh boy. That doesn't sound like a mob thing. No, not at all. A yeah, former we, uh, we dry start... cleaning mo- mogul. <laughs> dry cleaning mogul and nightclub. Yeah. Owner. You know who else owned a fucking nightclub? Jack Ruby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not money laundering schemes. Not mo- No mob ties. <laughs> it's like so on the nose for like a mob owned business, like a dry cleaning empire. Well, and the whole thing of like, we specialize in rescuing, <laughs> rescuing yeah. Hollywood people's pet projects, meaning we find desperate rich people that are, <laughs> that are unreasonably committed to their weird pet projects right. and we just say yes to their bullshit. Exactly. Franchise sought out stars whose projects were stalled at the major studios, bringing them aboard at reduced salaries. Not a fishy business model at all. <sighs> it's it's for the project. Yeah, it's Keanu... just really care about make, like helping John Travolta make his right. Passion it's project. Keanu Reeves donating his salary to yeah, the Matrix exactly. effects budget. So admirable. Samaha's approach made waves in Hollywood, earning him a reputation of being able to produce star vehicles more cheaply than the larger studios. Sure. His unorthodox deals raised eyebrows in the entertainment industry magazine Variety commented that they were, quote, often so complex and variable as to leave outsiders scratching their heads. And not fishy. The the rest of the... To make the rest of the fucking entertainment industry look at something and go, that's fucking fishy. Like, you have to be... You are bathing in fish oil, my friend. Exactly. One of the shadiest industries on the planet. Your omega-3s are through the roof. Yeah. As Samaha put it, I said, if John wants to make this movie, what does he want to get paid? Because I do not pay anybody what they want to make. That is not my business plan. (laughs) What an interesting person. Yeah, exactly. A deal was soon struck and financing was arranged. Travolta significantly reduced his normal fee of $20 million, lowering the film's cost from the $100 million that had previously been forecast. And costs were reduced further by using Canadian locations and facilities. (laughs) Dirty, dirty Canadian locations. (laughs) So it was kind of like proto-all film studios filming shit in like Vancouver and Atlanta and stuff to for the tax breaks. Right, right. Well, because the if an American company wants to go film something in Vancouver, yeah. they will like they will basically pay for the production. They, yeah, exactly. They are desperate for an entertainment industry. And so right. they will subsidize the shit out of you. Right. So it seems like Samaha, even though he obviously had like a fishy background, did have some foresight in like like how to make a very uh, risky movie much less risky. Well, remember that part of that is like, especially like Canada and New Zealand will look the other way when it comes to union rules. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The film was set up as an independent production for Morgan Creek Productions, which would release the film through Warner Brothers in the United States under an existing distribution agreement. Uh, Travolta's company, JTP Films, was also involved, and Travolta invested $5 million of his own money in the production. Damn. He was like super committed. Right. Like, I wonder if Scientology was forcing him to do this, though. Like, I, Scientology does not need to force you to do anything. It's right. a cult. It, yeah. It, convince, it convinces you that Scientology's desires are your own. Right. So that just makes it, like, a little, like, creepy, this whole production. It's it's a little creepy, yeah. Like, this whole thing was made because John Travolta's cult brain told him that he had to for the good of L. Ron Hubbard's right. legacy. Right, no, he has talking fungus in his brain that's shaped like L. Ron Hubbard. Right. Um, Warner Brothers allocated $20 million for the film's marketing and distribution. Franchise retained the foreign rights, licensing the European distribution rights to the German group Entertainment AG in exchange for the 47% of the production costs, which were set at $75 million. Samaha forecast that the film would be a hit. 
Quote, my projected numbers on Battlefield Earth are really conservative. I'm already covered internationally, and there's no way I'm going to lose if this movie does $35 million domestically. And Travolta has never had an action movie do under $35 million. Battlefield, <laughs> Battlefield Earth is going to make people in Hollywood take notice of Ellie Samaha. He's talking about himself. I'm not going to be the laughingstock anymore. I think that's, I think that's definitely... That started out as Samaha just saying bullshit. Like, yeah. yeah, it's all fine. Any if you're if you're an investor, it's still okay to hop on right now. Yeah. It's all great. Everything's perfect. But then it got a little too real at the yeah. end. <laughs> They're not gonna laugh at me no more. They're not gonna laugh at me anymore, Dad. <laughs> Uh, according to Samaha, he got around the negative factor of sign- the Scientology connection. Oh yeah? How'd, how'd you do that, bud? By the simple expedient of, quote, yelling at everyone. <laughs> this is a science fiction film starring John Travolta again and again. What? <laughs> so his... It's like weird chaos magic bullshit. It's like, if, it's like, if I will it, it shall be. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Don't worry, don't worry. John Travolta! <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I yell at the Albertsons employees when they won't give me when they say that my coupons aren't valid. <laughs> it's fine. This is an action movie starring John Travolta. You will not question further. <laughs> Samaha acknowledged that quote everyone everyone thought I was crazy or mentally offensive word for mentally disabled people for taking on the project. But I wonder why. <laughs> but pitched the project as, quote, Planet of the Apes starring John Travolta. Whatever, man. <laughs> that, I mean, this guy clearly has not seen Planet of the Apes because... I'm starting to question whether or not he's seen John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thought I was crazy just because I go around on set all the day screaming about how everything is fine. <laughs> Don't worry! Everything is normal! You will not talk about this! that's that's like whenever i whenever you see things like you know people in hollywood doing this you have to scale it down and imagine like imagine if your manager at starbucks was yeah. acting like this. <laughs> right this is a coffee shop everything is fine maybe we shouldn't put drano in the drinks it's fine <laughs> there's a report of a guy drinking drano and he didn't die therefore it's fine this is an action movie starring john travolta or the science fiction movie yeah whatever Others in Hollywood were still skeptical. An unnamed producer was quoted by the Los Angeles Daily News as stating that Battlefield Earth has the stench of death. It should never have been made. It's an $80 million vanity project for Travolta. Which... What? This guy's writing about it like he like he was one of the original people on the Manhattan Project. <laughs> the stench of death. It should never have been made. <laughs> so it's not meant to be produced by humans. I am become death destroyer of worlds. <laughs> Travolta's th- theatrical agency, William Morris, was also said to be unenthusiastic. <laughs> no one was happy about this film except for Samaha, who was literally just screaming the opposite of what everyone thought. I don't think he was happy about yeah. it. People that are happy with their work don't have to scream <laughs> yeah. that everything is fine. It's like Meg Whitman saying <laughs> investors are not freaking out. Investors are definitely not freaking out. So uh, Travolta reportedly threatened to leave his theatrical agency if they did not help him set up the film. Oh, he was threatening to leave if they didn't keep going. Yeah, exactly. Fellow Scientologist Tom Cruise was said to have warned Warner Brothers that he thought the movie was a bad idea. <laughs> to be fair, Tom Cruise is his own brand of crazy. Yeah. Like, Tom, Tom Cruise is his own thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if cults can really affect him in the same way that it affects us mere mortals. <laughs> right, exactly. Literally no fear of death. <laughs> Chapter 4, Scientology Steps In. <laughs> Good old L. Ron is going to step in and make <laughs> things normal. The frozen head of L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, in 1999, Author Services, Inc., which controls Hubbard's copyrights, said that it was, quote, donating its share of the profits from the film to charitable organizations that direct drug education and drug rehabilitation programs around the world. Those are all fronts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Scientology. I think you can assume. Well, no, no. That That's actually one of... That's part of how Scientology gets you. They run rehab clinics. Mm-hmm. Like, if your rehab clinic isn't run by evangelicals, it's probably run by Scientologists. Right, which is terrifying. Which is fucking terrifying. People at literally, like, their most broken down state in the hands of Scientologists. Yes. 
It was reported that the merchandising revenues would be passed on to Scientology linked group Narconon, a, dug, a drug rehabilitation program, and applied scholastics, yep. which promotes Hubbard's study tech. What are these names? With movie-related sales of the book funding the marketing of Hubbard's fiction books and the L. Ron Hubbard Writers of the Future contest. Oh my god, yeah, that still happens every year. Oh my god. God, Did I ever tell you that? Like, one of the only times I've been to Hollywood Boulevard was with my cousins. We went to Hollywood Boulevard, and you know there's a big Scientology center. Right, yeah, there's a huge Scientology church. It was around, like, the holidays, and they were having a big, like, outdoor, like, street fair kind of thing called L. Ron Hubbard's Christmas Spectacular. And it was, like, a giant Christmas party, and they had this, like, weird, like, dancing going on, and there's all these people, like, handing out Scientology flyers and all these Christmas decorations mixed. It was the weirdest thing ever. That is so scary. And then we went into to the Scientology Center. Don't do that. Yeah, we shouldn't have done that. And then they were doing whatever that machine is. Oh, the the fucking the the e meter. Yeah, and yeah. they were doing that on people. And Brayden was like watching the dude do this on somebody, and he was standing behind him. And the dude turned around and said, "Like, step away from me. You're making me nervous." And so we're just like, okay, we'll just leave then. Yeah. So we didn't get tested by the machine. Luckily. Did I ever tell you about when it was like me and? Some of her friends went into the the Scientologist church by our school. Oh God, I forgot. I never went in the one by our school. It's really okay. It used to be like a big like imperial hotel. Mm. It's like really like they they legitimately like would not let us leave. Like, <laughs> I mean, what do you expect to trap? It's like we were looking at the books, and when we said like, okay, one, the books were like really expensive. It was right. just like a Harry Potter sized hardback book, but it was like a hundred and twenty dollars. <laughs> it's not a normal price for a book. And but then they wouldn't let it. They wouldn't let us leave unless we bought one of the books. Like they were literally standing in front of the door, and God. we were trying to explain to them that like we were high schoolers. We didn't have one hundred and twenty dollars between the four yeah, of us. Right. <laughs> and they were like, oh no no, it's like I'm sure you can like pull the money. It's like what the fuck are you talking about? You dipshit, get out of our way. It's so scary. <laughs> Hoping that lost drunk high schoolers wander into their Scientology. Well, center. and you know who you know who solved it was actually was the oh, um, yeah. the like five nothing like jacked Azerbaijani girl yeah. <laughs> who basically just like shoved like pushed her yeah. out of the way. <laughs> I would want nothing else to back nobody else to back me up in that scenario. <laughs> The size of the revenue deal was not disclosed by the parties. Trendmasters, the makers of the Battlefield Earth line of toys, stated that its deal was strictly with Franchise Pictures, which declined to comment, and Warner Bros. stated that its role was limited to distribution and had nothing to do with the associated merchandising deals. We can be pretty certain that this movie, the sales of the merchandise were going to fund Scientology ventures. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> In February 2000, Church of Scientology spokesman Mike Rinder told Tribune Media Services that any spin-off deals based on Hubbard's novel would benefit Author Services, Inc. Spin-off deals. <laughs> Another spokesman, Aaron Mason, stated, The church has no financial interest in Battlefield Earth. Author Services is not part of the Church of Scientology. They are a literary agency without any connection to the church. They're called the L. Ron Hubbard Author Services. Yeah. They're connected to this, the estate of L. Ron Hubbard. They're connected to the Church of Scientology. They're obviously connected to the Church of Scientology. Travolta's manager, Jonathan Crade, denied that the Church of Scientology was playing any part in the production. I've never even dealt with or talked to the church on this. This is an action-adventure science fiction story, period. The movie has nothing to do with Scientology. Crane stated that the film has been financed without a dollar coming from the Scientologists, except for $5 million from George John Travolta, right. the biggest Scientologist of them all. What are you oh talking about? Oh my god. You, they're just lying. The Scientologists are very good at that. They're yeah. extremely good at bullshit. Right. That's one of the things they're known for. Some people in Hollywood feared that Travolta was using his box office draw, which he did have a lot of box office draw around this time, um, to promote Scientology teachings. And one film producer stated, this film could encourage kids to embrace the whole strange world of Scientology, which I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it's like, it's still like promoting the name L. Ron Hubbard. It might have if the movie was good. Right. Yeah. I mean, if the movie had succeeded. Uh, Travolta stated, 
I'm doing it because it's a great piece of science fiction. This is not about Hubbard. I'm very interested in Scientology, but that's personal. This is different. You saying you're interested... Nobody's interested in Scientology, yeah, exactly. right? It's like, I study the occult for a living. I am interested in Scientology. Right. You're John Travolta. Yeah. You're in a cult. <laughs> you give millions of dollars to the Church of Scientology every year. You're not interested. You are a member. You're a prominent member. In a separate interview, Travolta commented on the perceived similarities between Battlefield Earth and Scientology. Well... They're kind of synonymous. L. Ron Hubbard is very famous for Scientology and Dianetics. On the other hand, he's equally as famous in the science fiction world. No, he isn't. No, he's not. So for people to think that, I don't want everybody to try Scientology. I don't really care if somebody thinks that. I'm not worried about it. You can't be. The truth of why I'm doing it is because it's a great piece of science fiction. I'm going to be the wickedest nine-foot alien you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> that is so dumb. And so... <laughs> Such a blatant fucking lie. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing this because I care about the story. I, John Travolta, am doing this because I just love the science fiction of L. Ron Hubbard, which is described by many science fiction fans as incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah. I'm certainly not doing this because my status in the Church of Scientology literally impact. Like, it compels people under him to allow him to get away with murder. Yes. That's apparently a real thing. He could murder someone. He could pull out a gun, shoot somebody at a church gathering. Nothing would happen to him. Yep. They are not allowed to report him to the police. They would cover it up. That's how, how, how much power he has. Exactly. Chapter 5. Production begins. Travolta and his manager, Jonathan Crane, took the lead in hiring the onset personnel. They initially approached Quentin Tarantino to direct the film. No fucking way! But why? Like, Tarantino is not known for giant sci-fi movies. If you're Tarantino, though, you gotta, you have to look back at this and kick yourself for not doing it. <laughs> How much fun would that be? Exactly. I'm sure Tarantino would make this a lot better of a movie. Be well, because you might be the Church of Scientology... But he's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. Like, remember, this is Quentin Tarantino right after his Pulp Fiction phase. Yeah. This is Quentin Tarantino at the height of his meth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You do not fuck with Quentin Tarantino in this point this in history. Is, and this is Quentin Tarantino at his most unhinged. Yeah, exactly. You may be the Church of Scientology, yeah. but this is Quentin Tarantino at his most powerful. Yeah. You can't tell him no. It's his now. Exactly. <laughs> so they dodged a bullet there. Oh my god. I would, how amazing would it be if Quentin Tarantino's star power just overwhelmed yeah. Scientology? It destroyed the Church of... If, there, if there's anyone to take down the Church of Scientology, it's year 2000 Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> He's gotten we much weaker since then, but like at the height of his power, he could have just gone in there and just killed everybody. Right? No, at at the time, Quentin Tarantino's in the Avatar state, yeah, and exactly. if anyone, if anyone is able to be like the Johnny Cash to, yeah. to this hurt, yeah, like, it's Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. This isn't the Kill Bill Quentin Tarantino. No, no, no. This is Quentin Tarantino at the height of his power. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when Tarantino declined, Roger Christian, a protege of George Lucas, was recruited as a director on the advice of Lucas. Uh, I want to add rabbits. <laughs> I want to add space rabbits. I can definitely see that as like a guy that George Lucas was, would very much find impressive. So yeah. Christian had most recently been the second unit director on The Phantom Menace. And I can very much see that in that I can the see art direction of this movie. Very clearly. And I can see it, like, the thing that I actually liked the best was, like, the set design and the, yes. like, the, like, helicopter shots and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, like, this is, the director is a second unit director. He's not used to filming dialogue scenes. So that's why I think the dialogue was so weak. And the coolest parts of this movie were the actual, like, setups of the shots and stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like the the cinematography did a very good job of establishing the world. Yeah. Like the, the actual locations and how it should feel. But it's like the, the pacing and the tone and every time a character opened their mouth, it was like they had no idea what to focus on. The camera was just sort of doing whatever. Scenes would end in the middle of sentences. Yeah. It was so strange. And they had the... It wasn't a wipe cut. It was a center-to-edge wipe cut. Yeah, it would wipe cut from the center out. And that was the only transition they had. The only one! Right. So very much a George Lucas protege. Uh, Patrick Topolis was signed to develop the production des design and costumes, including the design of the alien Cyclos, 
in Czech composer Elias uh, uh, Siral was signed to provide the film's score. Travolta and Crane also signed cinematographer Giles Nutgens and most of the principal actors. So Travolta was like very heavily involved in the production of this that film. That makes sense, actually. Like he literally it... had final approval on every crew member. Ah, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what happens when you are one of the biggest investors in the movie. Of course. Ah. I'm imagining I'm imagining the director is just like a miniature George Lucas. Now. Yeah, exactly. Like three quarters of the size. I, I want you, I want you to add a, a girl cyclo. I want yeah. you to give her a long tongue. I want in to one imply, scene. I want you to imply that she eats ass. <laughs> that happened in the movie, by the way. I think I was in the bathroom. You were in the scene. bathroom. You missed the scene where they implied that the cyclo girl eats ass. Corey Mandel signed on to write the script, which had previously gone through ten revisions. <laughs> uh, Refining it down to its essence. I'm glad it finally reached perfection by the end. Uh, Mandel stated in an interview, I am not a Scientologist. I came on board because John asked me to read the book and said, it's not a religious book, it's a science fiction story. There's nothing sacred about the story, nothing of the religious philosophy. That's true, though. Yeah, I was given this to read purely as science fiction to see whether it was intriguing as a movie, and it was. Which I can see that. It's like, I could see some, I could see like a veteran director pulling something interesting out of this setting in this world. Definitely. But like, I would, I would never trust a Scientologist to write the script for this movie. Exactly. At least John Travolta had the foresight not to hire like some random, you know, Scientologist wannabe screenwriter. Right, right, some film student. Yeah. Uh, In January 1999, Travolta flew his private Boeing 707 on a secret visit to Montreal to scout out locations for shooting. He was location scouting for this movie. Why would it need to be secret? Yeah, I don't know. The film was reported to have been the most expensive production shot in Canada up to that point. It was also reported that production costs would have been twice as high had the film been shot in the United States, which is exactly what you were saying before. Right. Um, almost every shot in the film is a Dutch angle, which yeah. we were pointing out literally... That's like that's, the first thing you said. That's not an exaggeration. I'd say at least one in two shots are tilted, like extremely tilted angles for no reason. A Dutch angle is when you're like filming somebody from like under their chin pretty much. Yeah, like diagonally. Like, yeah, yeah. Like tilted randomly. But it's not like... It's not just like... Oh, they're shooting them from below or whatever. It's like yeah. they're shooting them from like a low angle. It's like the screen is t- is like diagonally yeah. rotated 45 degrees. Right. It's the most like, it's so distracting. It's like for no discernible reason. Right. It's like why are you doing this? What is this adding to the scene? It, it just hurts your head having to tilt your head. It just, it's confusing because it's the first thing you notice before anything that might be happening in the scene. Uh, according to director Roger Christian, the decision to film mostly in Dutch angles was because the cinematographer wanted the film to look like a comic book. What? That's not... I don't know what that means. He's never read comic books yeah. then. You know those uh, tilted stories, comic books? <laughs> what? Are you having a stroke? <laughs> you know the tilted stories. <laughs> Hold up. Draw a clock for me. John Travolta action movies do well in the box office! You have encephalitis! (laughs) You need to see a doctor! Travolta's wife, Kelly Preston, also appeared in one scene, playing Turl's baldish cyclo girlfriend. Oh my god, that was her? That was his own wife? (laughs) Yeah. Throwing her a bone, I guess. Wait, they implied implied that she eats ass. That was a stipulation of her contract. (laughs) I'll only do this movie if it's implied that I eat ass. I only want to play... It's in my contract. I only play characters that eat ass. (laughs) Travolta originally saw himself in the role of Johnny, the main character of the film. But by the time the movie was actually made, Travolta felt that he was too old to play the role and took the role of the main villain instead. Which, honestly, the main villain, Turl, I think his name was, is the most fleshed out character in the movie. But, like, he's also the villain. Like, it's so weird because they try to, like, establish him as, like, a sympathetic character almost. But then they treat him like a villain and give him, like, a terrible fate at the end. Right, well, it's like he's... you. They clearly want you to, like, kind of root for him in a perverse way. Like, like the new Hannibal show or whatever. Right. But it's... He's just, a, he's not cool or likable or interesting. He's right. just a bastard. <laughs> he's not even like so evil that you kind of like him. He's just like really rude and kills people sometimes. But well, like, he's kind of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like kind of whiny about everything. Yeah, exactly. Like his biggest like struggle is not getting a promotion from his alien overlord. That he want like, there's an entire scene about him whining about how he didn't get the yeah. promotion. And then he goes to a bar and gets drunk. 
Right. Well, it's like where he, he's a bitch in a really annoying, whiny way, but yeah. his, like, his friend, the Black Cyclonian, he's like a bitch in a cool way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, he's being a bitch to the guy who's being a bitch for no reason. Right. He's fucking over his boss yeah, and being exactly. a cool, and, but being a cool guy. Right, exactly. He's a bitch I would hang out with. Um, Travolta's role in the film required what he described as an amazing physical tra- transformation. That's honestly completely fair. Like the yeah. costumes are the costumes are crazy looking, and I love them. "Quote: I wear a tall head apparatus with strange hair. It's called dreadlocks. Uh, well, it's like, but only some of them had dreadlocks. It's right. like the it, the hair. It's like imagine." For anyone who hasn't seen this movie, imagine, like, the dwarves from the new Hobbit movie. Like, all their, like, whimsical big eyebrows and yeah. shit. Combine that with, like, the Predator and, right. and like, Star Trek hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the cost- I, I really kind of love the costuming in this It's movie. memorable. It's like somebody making a B science fiction film from the 80s with mm. 2000s budget and... Special effects. Yeah, definitely. It, it's sort it's like George Lucas doing his own spin on a nineteen eighties B sci-fi flick. Yeah, exactly. It's very fun. It's definitely it's iconic. Like it's it's memorable. Like you remember the costumes, which a lot of films fail to do. Right, right. Um, so the Cyclonians all had the Cyclonians all had unique silhouettes. Like you could yeah. see them even if shit was like crazy and the camera was shaking, you could still tell the humans from the Cyclonians. Yeah. So apparently for the role, John Travolta wore four-foot stilts. So he was on stilts that entire time. Yeah, yeah, they had big-ass boots. Yeah. Uh, The film was plagued by bad buzz before release with the media speculating about the possible influence of Scientology and commenting on the the film production's tight security. Which is like... If you don't want people to think this is fishy, why do you have tight security on this movie? From At least from what I know about, like, Scientologist mythology. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with Scientologist mythology. Right. But L. Ron Hubbard was also an intensely paranoid person. Right. And so that was probably why they had the security, is like that was just drilled into Scientology before he died. Right. It's probably part of the contract from like author services or whatever. I don't think they were whipping any anyone. I think it was just a normal Hollywood set. Yeah. But yeah. Right. But, like, the fact that it was such a tightly secured set made people suspicious. As it should. Right. Like, what are you hiding? Gold. <laughs> As the film was entering post-production, the alternative newspaper Mean Magazine obtained a copy of the screenplay, so it got leaked. Oh. Mean staffers changed the script's title to Dark Forces, reattributed it to Desmond Finch, and circulated it to readers at major Hollywood film production companies. So this script got leaked. And what the readers of the magazine did was they took it, they like removed the title and like made an, an alias as the writer right. and sent it to like big names in the, the film industry to get their honest opinions. Ooh. So this is like the trolling at this major is levels. Like, this is some 3D chess. Yeah, exactly. So what was, what was everyone's reaction? The comments that came back were unfavorable. A thoroughly silly plot find it. Plotline is made all the more ludicrous by its ham-fisted dialogue and ridiculously shallow character characterizations. Yeah. <laughs> a completely predictable story that just isn't written well enough to make up for its lack of originality. There is nothing predictable about that story. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I don't know who, what rivals were trying to take this film down, but it worked because, like, bad reviews came out about the film before it was even released. And nothing will kill a film faster than that. Exactly. They've, they've smothered it in its crib. Right. A Battlefield Earth was released on May 12, 2000, three days after the 50th anniversary of the publication of Hubbard's book Dianetics, ah. The Modern Science of Mental Health, a date celebrated by Scientologists worldwide as a major Scientology holiday. Yep. Its premiere was held on May 10, 2000 at Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Damn. So r- across the street from the Scientology Center. It's like, not a so- oh. this is not a Scientology oh. film, but we're re- releasing it on the anniversary of Dianetics and premiering it across the street from the Scientology Center. I forgot they're across the street from each yeah. other. <laughs> right. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> that like connected some neurons in my yeah. brain. I just had <laughs> right. a thought. Yeah. <laughs> not Scientology associated whatsoever. The film's scathingly bad reviews and poor word of mouth led to a precipitous falling off of its grosses. The film made almost 54% of its entire domestic domestic gross in its opening weekend, but flatlined thereafter. That's... Like, better than I thought it would do, actually. Yeah, it had a decent opening weekend, but generally you want to basically make up your 
budget domestically on the opening weekend. Right. And it's very hard for you to make a ton of profit if you don't. I mean, it did better than the Oogie Loves. Well, the Oogie Loves is a different beast. The Oogie Loves was the star power of Ken Weiselman versus John Travolta. Um, Who could compete? <laughs> with But earnings dropped a further 75% by the end of its third week. Damn. The following week, facing earnings of just $200,000, Warner Bros. attempted to cut its losses by slashing the number of screens that was being shown at. Good. By the sixth weekend on the release, the film was showing on only 95 screens and had made $18,000 that week. Less than $200 per screen, so very badly. That's wild. The film ultimately earned $21 million in the U.S. and Canada and $8 million worldwide for a grand total of $29,700,000. On a budget of... $73 million. Just production. At least $20 million in marketing costs. Wow. Financially, it is regarded as one of the most expensive box office bombs in film history. Easily. Right, which is like saying something, because there's a lot of those. Yeah. Battlefield Earth is often considered to be one of the worst films ever made, with a 3% score on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> which feels, I don't know if it's that low, but that feels very, like, biased. That, that feels like this movie has a reputation. Yeah, that's padded. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, not, it, it's not that bad, honestly. It's better, like, I think an honest score for Battlefield Earth would be, like, a 21. Yeah, like exactly. Like an 18. It's around that. Around there, generously 25. Right. The thing about Rotten Tomatoes, though, it's a weird system because they don't, like, critics don't give it a score on 1 to 10. It's just, right. It's just a number of critics who gave it a positive review, but it's subjective on the part of Rotten Tomatoes whether they want to classify it as a positive review. So if everyone gives it, like, a kind of shitty review, it can get, like, a really low score. Right. Even if no one genuinely, like, hated it. Right, right. Uh, The critical consensus stated, Ugly, campy, and poorly acted, Battlefield Earth is a stunningly misguided, aggressively bad sci-fi folly. On Metacritic, the film has an average score of 9 out of 100, indicating overwhelming dislike. Audiences polled by CinemaScore, which is actually the most important rating for your movie, because this is, like, basically... How likable is this film to general audiences before it's released? And you want to get at least a B to have any chance at box office success. Right. uh, Battlefield Earth got a D plus, which is terrible, like unheard of for a major, uh, major studio production. Right. Right. The film was greeted with widespread derision on preview screenings. An audience of Los Angeles entertainment journalists, critics, and others greeted the film with guffaws and hoots (laughs) at a screening in Century City. Guffaw, hoot, guffaw, hoot, guffaw. <laughs> They're all in, like in unison, <laughs> half the room going back and forth. While other critic screenings in Washington D.C. and Baltimore responded with derisive laughter or simply walking out. <laughs> at a, I got better shit to do. Yeah, it's later. Like, whatever. Um, at a post-launch publicity event, Travolta, on asking a simple journalist if they had enjoyed it, received no reply. <laughs> they just gave him the silent treatment. <laughs> Cricket. Cricket. <laughs> Yeah, they all pretend to like take giant sips of their drink, <laughs> holding their collars. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Roger Ebert gave the film the rating a half of a star out of four, and compa- compared his screen to quote taking a bus trip with someone who has needed a bath for a long time. <laughs> Roger Ebert is mean, man. Like he, that, it's I'm impressed that he gave it half a star. Yeah. Honestly, like. <laughs> Half a star is more than I would have expected for Roger Ebert. Like, if you... Like, honestly, I would have expected Roger Ebert to get mad at whoever showed him this movie. Which I believe that is the same rating he gave to Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. (laughs) Which which is is one of the last films he saw before he died. (laughs) Roger Ebert was having none of that shit at that point in his life. He gave Freddy Got Fingered one star. Right. (laughs) And that's a a movie that ends with the main character and his dad jerking off an elephant. (laughs) Right. Uh, continuing with Ebert's review, it's not merely bad, it's unpleasant in a hostile way. I watched it in a mounting gloom, realizing I was witnessing something historic, a film that for decades to come will be the punchline of jokes about bad movies. There's nothing aggressive about how bad this movie... This this movie is... This movie is just a man confidently walking off a cliff. Yeah. There's nothing... Right. Like, I've, I know I've seen... The Nostalgia Critics' The Wall is aggressively bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, The Nostalgia Critics' The Wall is a movie that hates you. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, 
Birdemic is aggressively bad. Right. But even Birdemic, it's like, it's so aggressively bad that it's like, it's, you can't even take it seriously. Birdemic is like, Birdemic is aggressively bad, but it's completely ineffectual. It's a small child hitting you with a balloon hammer. (laughs) This movie is just, this movie is a man in fancy dress walking off a cliff. Right. It is, it's just, (laughs) it's it's a man at the starting line. The, somebody fires the starting pistol and they just face plant. Yeah, <laughs> this movie exactly. never got off the ground. Yeah. One of my favorite reviews, John Stewart uh, <laughs> reviewed it on The Daily Show, describing it as, a, quote, a cross between Star Wars and the smell of ass. <laughs> Which, I mean, I think is kind of fair. It's kind of like Phantom Menace, but like slightly worse. I would like... There's definitely some so bad it's good. Like, yeah. I would put this movie on in the background while I'm doing other shit. Yeah, but I would right. never, like, pay attention to this movie again. Right. It's, like, an interesting movie to think about. It's right? the ideal mystery science theater movie. Yes. It's ideal. Because it's, like, there's just enough, like, gaps to jump in. Like, we were making jokes throughout. Oh, yeah. It's, like, jump in with your satire and still enjoy it. Right, right. Like, if you have friends to watch it with, I think it's a fun time. It's it's definitely a good it's a it's a good Netflix and chill movie. Yeah, exactly. Right? Critics noted the film's heavy use of tilted camera angles and luridly tinted scenes. Yeah, what the fuck was up with that? Yeah, like some scenes were like deep green or yeah, deep blue it, for no reason. We are not making this up. It's as if they put it's like they removed every color that is not green. Exactly. I I thought they were trying to do it to show. Like, there was the, the Earth atmosphere, and then, like, the Cyclonians had their own atmosphere because they couldn't breathe Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. So, I thought they were trying to code it so that, like, green is human-breathable air, and then blue was Cyclonian-breathable air. Yeah. But I don't think that's true. No, I think they contradicted that, like, two scenes later. Right. And there were scenes that had neither, so what yeah. the fuck was <laughs> up with that? Uh, many critics singled out the excessive use of angled shots, also known as Dutch angles. Uh, the director, Roger Christian, has learned from better films that directors sometimes tilt their cameras, wrote Ebert, continuing his review. But he has not learned why. <laughs> oh my god, I've, I've heard that quote referenced, used so many times in film criticism. Right. That's like, that is the seminal piece of film crit for the modern age. Right. It's, that is the criticism at the heart of every Michael Bay movie. <laughs> Like, the idea of, like, they've learned from directors, but not why. Michael Bay has learned from other directors that other directors will sometimes do a thing, but yeah. he's not, he doesn't understand why. Yeah, or, like, what it adds to the overall narrative structure. Right. He's just like, I guess I have to do that exactly. now. Exactly. Um, derivative special effects and illogical plotting were also widely criticized. The Providence Journal highlighted the film's unusual color scheme. Battlefield Earth's primary colors are blue and gray, adding to the misery. Whenever we glimpse sunlight, the, su- the screen goes all stale yellow, as though someone has urinated on the print. I legitimately, I legitimately think they were just using a camera that had like an automatic color correction feature and they just didn't, they just used that. Yeah. Because it is exact, if anybody has an Android phone, you know exactly what I'm talking about where you'll be like (laughs) trying to take a selfie and then like you'll shift a little bit and the lighting will change and then suddenly it's like, it puts like a blue filter. Yeah. the color correction and all the saturation just changes immediately. Yeah, it's like, that would why? happen. That would happen during, like, in the middle yeah. of scenes. Like, I, it's, like, really visible at some points. Like, you'll be, it'll be a static shot of a character talking, and then they'll shift a little bit, and suddenly they'll be, like, two shades whiter. Right. <laughs> why? Responding to criticism, uh, Ellie Samaha, <laughs> coming back into the story, complained, Everything's fine! <laughs> Everything's fine! The critics were waiting for us, <laughs> waiting to chop our heads off. Everybody hated Scientology for some reason. I didn't know people were so prejudiced. As you can see, the cordyceps fungus growing out of his ears. Yeah. <laughs> they were waiting. They this were... was all planned. Uh. Battlefield Earth swept the 2000 Golden Raspberry Awards and received seven Razvies, ra- Razzies, including Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Worst Supporting Actor, Worst Supporting Actress, we're supporting actress. There was like no women in this film. There was one. Okay, there was there was the one late. There was the ass eating lady cyclonian, and yeah. there was the there was human female with one line. Yeah, she's not really a supporting actress. Literally, the only thing she ever said in the entire movie was, "I don't need your permission." Yeah, <laughs> and then she left on a horse. 
<laughs> worst director, worst screenplay, and worst worst screen couple for Travolta and anyone sharing the screen with him. In 2010, the film received an award for worst picture of the decade, bringing its total number of Razzies to nine and consequently setting the record for most Razzies won by a single film until, can you guess? Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill in 2012. <laughs> Jack and Jill. Now there's a movie that is aggressively bad. Yeah, right. Any, any... Adam Sandler movie or anything associated with his company like any of the David Spade or Rob Schneider vehicles oh those are aggressively what? bad there was one he put on Netflix recently that The I, Wrong Missy I watched wrong. it I I tried I couldn't I, I could not get 50 I had to drop out after like 15 minutes yeah it's I watched that whole movie. The only reason is because Lauren Lapkus, who plays Missy, is legitimately, I think, one of the top five funniest people on earth. No, she's. I've seen her in other shit, and she's hilarious. That's the only reason. And she did have some funny moments, but, like, it was not worth it. Like, I, that movie was so bad. I, I had to turn it off because there was just, like, a... Str- like, literally 20 minutes in, there was just straight up a rape scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a rape scene played for laughs yeah. because it's a girl... Because it's a girl perpetrating That's it. Adam it's Sandler like, in a nutshell. Like, that's his sense of humor right I'm there. I'm just like, this is so fucked up. Yeah. Like, and it's not funny. Like, it's not even, like, uh, It's whatever. not, like, literally every joke fell flat. Yeah. There's, there isn't a, I didn't, and none of the characters are likable. Yeah. I hated literally yeah. every single one. Exactly. I, sometimes I will watch one of these Adam Sandler comedies, and I'll, like, I'll give, like, a rueful chuckle about, like, oh, uh, like, it's funny that they thought that was going to be funny. Right, yeah. Or something. Yeah. It's, like, nothing. I was just, I was so fucking uncomfortable throughout that entire movie. Well, the other thing was like I was legitimately stressed out throughout the entire thing because I was worried that David Spade's toupee was going to fall off. (laughs) It just like looks so precarious on his head. Oh my god. Uh, As Travolta did not attend to collect his trophies at the Golden Raspberry Awards, an action figure of Turl, his character, accepted them in his place. He should have used the 30-foot tall balloon of Turl. (laughs) From 1985. Right. Um, Travolta responded a week later to the awards. I didn't even know there were such awards. I have people around me whose job it is to not tell me about such things. They're obviously doing their job. Not every film can be a critical and box office success. It would have been awful only if Battlefield Earth was neither. That's not the case. It is edging toward the $100 million mark, which means that's a blatant fucking lie. This movie made $30 million worldwide. What are you talking about, John Travolta? It's edging... (sighs) This movie is edging its way towards the $100 million mark in the same way that my Patreon is edging towards the $100 million (laughs) mark. (laughs) It's like, I guess if you're... If everything's relative, you are... (laughs) Sure. I, I guess it'll take me another 100,000 years, but I'll get there eventually, bucko. I'd rather my films connect with audience and audiences than with critics, because it gives you more longevity as a performer. Yeah, John Travolta's career really had longevity. It got, it, the film got a D-plus, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> audiences loved it. He later insisted that he still felt really good about it. Here I was taking big chances, breaking a new genre. It's not a new genre. It's like, I mean, it works as like a campy, like, it's overdone a, sci-fi movie. It's a sci-fi movie. There's yeah. no, what new genre is this? This is like the fucking Birdemic actor calling it a romantic thriller. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that I became friends with the lead actor from Birdemic? Yeah, I knew that you would like, hung out at <laughs> some time. Are you actually, like, friends? I, I mean, I don't really keep in touch with him except on social media, but, like, he went to my college and we had a class together That's and fun. we did a group marketing project together <laughs> you took a marketing class with them? yeah <laughs> what was that like well remember how in the movie birdemic he gives like a business presentation oh about God. solar panels and he's like solar panels are gonna make us 100 million dollars right. and it's gonna you're gonna make 10 million dollars they are going they're losing their food such as seals so on our marketing team rod from birdemic his, we all had to have like a role. It was like an entrepreneurship class. I see. So I was like the chief marketing officer. Officer. Some person was like the CEO. He was the CFO. He was in charge of numbers. Ah. So he had to give a presentation on the finances to the class. 
And so he gave the he wore a suit and gave a presentation to the class. So our business is gonna be worth ten million dollars, <laughs> and then we're gonna all make a hundred million dollars. And he all, like the character in Birdemic, he used childishly simplistic numbers, like rounded to the nearest ten, right? Rounded to the nearest power of ten. Yeah, he's like, we're gonna make a hundred million dollars, <laughs> and you're gonna make a million dollars. Yeah. So he still leaves me a, a like on social media every now and then. <laughs> he also gave me uh, fuck, where is that? Uh, but somewhere. This is signed headshot. Oh, you've shown that to me. Yeah, I don't know where the fuck it went, but like, yeah, he he usually sells his headshot for like thirty dollars, but at the end of the semester, he gave me his for free because he's nice. Yeah, that's cool. I love that all of the actors in all these terrible movies are just like dentists that like yeah. they're after they finish doing all this shit, they just go back to their day job and they continue existing as a normal human exactly. being. Exactly, they're usually pretty cool about it. Um, going back to Battlefield Earth, the film's producer Ellie Samaha. <clears throat> declared that he welcomed the free publicity. And the more the critics hit Battlefield Earth, the more DVDs it sells. We were trying <laughs> to fail, you idiots! It is the kind of film that makes a movie legend, and we feel we have enough staying power to last long after the critics have quieted down. It's not about the money. It's about the legend you leave behind. <laughs> Chapter 7. Fraud? <laughs> <laughs> this story is not over yet. You can- you could go to literally every episode that we of this podcast we've made so far, yeah. and we could add a 20-minute section at the end that just says, chapter whatever, fraud? <laughs> <laughs> so we got one more chapter to get through in this saga. All right. Stacey Brooks, then president of the Lisa McPherson Trust, stated, quote, There's no way that this movie would be happening without Scientology's backing. This is one example of how Scientology insinuates itself in various aspects of the culture. Mark Bunker characterized the film as a recruitment tactic for the Church of Scientology. It's designed to introduce L. Ron Hubbard to a whole new generation of kids. It's there to plant a favorable seed in children's minds. Bunker criticized the promotional methods of the film. Instead of granting interviews about the film to the press, John Travolta went on a book tour and signed copies of L. Ron Hubbard's original novel. So I feel like this was John Travolta kind of doing like a weird L. Ron Hubbard farewell tour, like trying to like increase the positive public perception. I think they strong-armed him into it. Yeah. Could have been. Could have been. Who knows? Before the film was released, rumors and allegations began to circulate that Battlefield Earth contained subliminal messages promoting Scientology. Former Scientologist Lawrence Wallerheim in a press release issued by his group Fight Against Coercive Tactics Network, set up that the Church of Scientology has placed highly advanced subliminal messages in the Battlefield Earth film Master to surreptitiously recruit new members from the movie audience and to get the audience to develop a revulsion for psychiatry and current mental health organizations and practices. I don't think so. Maybe? You know, okay, you know what that is? One of the things that the Scientologists did is they've they've taken over organizations like the Cult Awareness Network. Mm. So oftentimes, if you find an organization criticizing Scientology, like that is like dedicated to being anti-cult or whatever, yeah. it's usually run by Scientologists right. who use it as like who use those groups as a method to collect other cults. Right. Like they're they use it. Like, they're incorporating other cults into them, but they usually say weird shit like that right. to make Scientology seem scarier. Exactly. I'm, like, 85% sure that that quote was said by a Scientologist. Well, he was a he was a former Scientologist, mm. so he doesn't associate with the church anymore, but who knows? It's, it's Either one is possible. Yeah. Other critics said that the film is a veiled attempt to gain converts and influence, and that writers were gagged from making connections between Scientology and the film with threats of lawsuits. Warner Brothers domestic claims as silly nonsense, the Church of Scientology now denounced them as hogwash, and the media reacted with skepticism. Codswallop! Baldadash! <laughs> yeah. Feels like a word that L. Ron Hubbard would use. He would say weird shit like that all the time. When asked about the similarities between the film and Scientology beliefs in intergalactic travel and aliens, uh, Scientology spokesman Aaron Mason stated, that's a pretty crude parallel. You'd have to make some serious leaps of logic to make that comparison. No, that's exactly what they believe in. Yeah. Following the failure of Battlefield Earth and other films independently produced by Franchise Pictures, Ellie Samaha's company, the Wall Street Journal reported that the FBI was probing the question of whether some independent motion picture companies have vastly inflated, inflated the budget in, of films in an effort to scam investors. Hmm. <laughs> and get more money for the Church of Scientology. Hmm. 
December 2000. I wonder if Hollywood has ever done that before. I wonder yeah. if anybody has ever used a film budget to massively inflate and scam yeah. investors out of their money. Hmm. I don't know. Can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Golly fucking G, Batman. <laughs> In December 2000, the German-based entertainment AG, who had been involved with the production of the film, filed a lawsuit alleging that franchise pictures had fraudulently inflated budgets in films, including Battlefield Earth, which entertainment had helped to finance. Entertainment had agreed to pay 47% of the production costs of several films in exchange for European distribution rights, but ended up paying for between 60 and 90% of the costs instead. Ah, I see. So they're tricking these, like, German... They tricked this German production company into basically paying most of the money for the film. I... Okay, okay. The thing about Germany... Germany is the financial center of the European Union. Right. (laughs) So, that's sort of... There is a good chance... That this is now becoming an international incident, my friend. Right. The company alleged that franchise had defrauded it to the tune of over $75 million by systematically submitting grossly fraudulent and inflated budgets. You don't, you don't fuck over banks like that. You don't yeah. pull that shit. They will find out. Exactly. But, I mean, this kind of confirms the shady nature of Ellie Samal. <laughs> right. Like, probably involved with the mob. The case was heard before a jury in Los Angeles federal courtroom in May to June 2004. The court heard testimony from entertainment that, according to franchises' bank records, the real cost of Battlefield Earth was $44 million, not the $75 million declared by franchise. So, franchise got all this money, and all this money went to, you know, like, author services and stuff. Mm. But, like... You know, the film didn't cost that much. Right. So wonder where this money was going. The remaining $30 million had been fraudulent padding. Entertainment's head, uh, Barry Barris, Barry Barris, told the court that he had only funded Battlefield Earth because it was packaged as a slate that included two more commercially attractive films. The Wesley Snipes vehicle, The Art of War, and the Bruce Willis comedy, The Whole Nine Yards. Barris testified that Mr. Samaha said, if you want the other two pictures, you have to take Battlefield Earth. It's called packaging. Mm. Barris commented, we would have been quite happy if he had killed Battlefield Earth. So it's this weird inflated packaging deal. I see, I see. They're like, here, we'll put you down for three films, but only one of, like, two of them are safe bets and one of them is fraudulent. And the one that's fraudulent is the one that somehow cost the most money to make. Mm. <laughs> Entertainment won the case and was awarded $121 million in damages. So they won hard. Right. Like, franchise got fucked. <laughs> right. They just chewed up and spit out. Samaha was declared by the court to be personally liable for $77 million in damages. How is he ever going to pay that back? He's not. It's a like, symbolic victory, basically. But, like, entertainment has already gone out of business. Like, they're dead because right. of this it's deal. Like, it's, there's no way that he has assets that are worth anything near that. Right. However, the judgment forced Franchise into bankruptcy. So his company, he did shut down his company. Right, of course. So they ended up paying some of the money, at least. The failure of the film was also reported to have led in 2002 to Travolta firing his manager, who had set up the deal with Franchise in the first place. Oh, yeah, it's his manager's fault. Yeah, exactly. He had to do something, just be like, yeah, it's it's him, even uh, though he literally had final say on every decision associated with I, this film. I honestly bet that he fired his manager and then just hired his manager back yeah, two months later. Right. <laughs> You're fired. You know, I'll see you in two months. Later. Anyway, that's the story of Battle... The long, weird, drawn-out story of Battlefield Earth. Oh, thank you. That was... <laughs> I... I feel like a weight has been lifted. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you you watching the film with me. It was not... It wasn't unpleasant. You and yeah. I have watched some truly difficult films together. Oh, yeah. We, we have a history of doing that. We had a whole club in high school for watching bad uh, movies. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, the two of us, we sat through Man of the Hands of Fate together, so <laughs> we, can, we can survive anything. Exactly. Well, other than that, you know, that's all I got. Alright. Thank you for listening, everyone. We love you. We love you. Have a great week. Good things are coming. Woo! Buy our merch. Do it. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter at DAOCCast, Instagram at Desperate Acts of Capitalism, and Tumblr at DesperateActsOfCapitalism.tumblr.com. 
And remember, next week's episode is up right this moment on our Patreon. Join us there for bonus content, including an entire second podcast, Business Desserts, where Evan and I talk about current business news and whatever we feel like talking about that week. And thank you so much for listening. We love you. Big things are coming.